Um, so I'm going to, while I get a little set up here, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my background. So I became Christian when I was 13. And I became Christian at a, an Assemblies of God church, which is kind of like a branch off of Pentecostal churches. Um, and also then I beca- like ha- I kind of started going to treat my mom a little more. And then I kind of moved into this more Baptist-y kind of denomination. And now I'm here. Um, so trust me, I've had many a purity talks in my life. Um, and I want to tell you that this one's going to be a little different because I've learned some things about purity along the way. But I'm going to be really honest. This might ruffle some feathers. And I don't think you can talk about purity and not ruffle some feathers. Um, but that's okay. You know, it, we're going to all be better off for it. Um, so, like, my journey to understanding what purity means, it's kind of a long one. You know, I became Christian when I was 13, right around puberty. Um, I, a purity ring was slapped onto my hand immediately. Um, and what I understood about purity was that it was all about whether or not you had had sex or not. And so I had this purity ring, and it was a symbol to the world that I was not going to have sex until I was married. Um, you know, and so in my senior year of high school, I, you know, uh, how many years? Four, four or five years later, I had grown it a lot in my faith. And I, you know, like, this is when, like, the third wave of feminism kind of started really gaining momentum, and I got real into it, and I'm still really into it. I can, Emily Woodney and I can just, talk about it forever and I enjoy those talks um and I started getting really disillusioned with the whole concept of purity and how I had been taught purity just like whether or not you've had sex and so I stopped wearing my purity ring so I was like this is really crappy <laughs> and I one of the things that reasons that made me think that this was kind of a crappy way to think of purity was because I started hearing about women specifically women I'm sure there's plenty of men too that um were so focused on being pure that when they finally got married, they couldn't have sex because it felt dirty to them. Um, And as Chris talked about last week, sex is a gift from God. And that's not something that we should should feel dirty or make us feel ashamed. And so I got really um, freaked out and disillusioned by that. And so I started wearing my purity ring. Um, But I kind of had a bad idea of what purity meant. And I don't think I started forming a truly biblical aspect of purity in my mind and in my heart until like probably maybe a year ago. Um, a lot of you know I do a lot of mission work in Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and I'm, I work with a lot of Muslim communities. And something about Islam is they have like a ritualistic prayer, usually the kind that you see in pictures and videos. But before they do that, they have to perform this washing ceremony called wudu. And I was, one day I was preaching the gospel in a Muslim community in Malawi. And one of the guys, t- he goes, you Christians go into your churches and kneel before God with dirty hands and dirty feet. And how is that righteous? How is that holy? And I remember just kind of like looking at him being like, what are dirty hands and dirty feet to an almighty God compared to a clean heart? And I think then that's when I kind of started thinking, oh. Um, so here's the thing. Purity is not about what it isn't. It's about what it is. And uh, we're going to unpack that a little bit. That's a little confusing. Purity is not about what it isn't. It's about what it is. Um, So we're going to talk about what it means to desire and pursue purity. So I'm going to start out by telling you exactly what purity is. Purity is the essence of something. And in the case of, like, Christianity, it is the essence of who God created you to be. And that's it. Purity is the essence of who God created you to be. 
And we know because we live in a broken world that we don't start out the way God wanted us, wants us to be, and that's a continual journey. Um, and this is very, so this is very different from what I was told purity was originally. You know, what I was told was a status. You haven't had sex, therefore you're pure. Status reached. But the thing is, is that whenever we, concerning God, whenever we make statuses, we forego a deeply intimate relationship and sacrifice that for shallowness with God. Um, and that just, that sucks. <laughs> um, so another truth about purity, straight from the Bible, we're going to be camping out in 1 Corinthians 6 a lot, and it's a great chapter about all this kind of stuff. So one of the things that 1 Corinthians 6 says, I guess I just never, I've, I've read the Corinthians, both Corinthians plenty of times, but this never really stuck with me until Hannah at retreat said it. She says, or it says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Um, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Um, and so I think another way we can say this is that um, we can do whatever we want. We really can. But not everything is going to bring us closer to God. Not everything is going to be beneficial and constructive. By doing certain things, we aren't going to be, we're not going to be intentionally coming into a deeper and more meaningful relationship with God. And that's what purity is all about. It's not about restricting us. It's not about restricting us at all. This is right here. Everything is permissible. And it literally says it in a passage about like eating impure foods and, and talking about sexual immorality. Right there in the Bible. Everything is permissible. But I think one of the defining characteristics of Christians is that everything we do is to get closer to God. So everything might be permissible, but not everything is going to be beneficial for us as Christians and getting and reaching our goal, which is loving God and loving others. Um, so we're going to be discussing this. Um, and like with, uh, the big thing I want you to think about is that purity is not a shame-based idea. It is a holiness-motivated idea. So if you've come from a background like mine where purity is very much about shame, I really hope we can demolish that tonight and really focus your idea of purity on, um, on a journey and a daily decision. It's not a status. It's about coming into a deeper and closer relationship with God. So we're going to be talking specifically about purity of the mind, heart, and the body. And we're going to use the story of David and Bathsheba. Um, man, David and Bathsheba. One thing I want to preface this before I tell you about the story David is a man after God's own heart. Like, I think we can all agree to that. But David did some pretty messed up stuff. So you can find the story in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So pretty much, I think, probably a lot of you know it, but what happens is David, there's a war going on. He's the king of Israel, and he's walking on his balcony, and all of a sudden he looks over and he sees this beautiful woman bathing. And instead of, you know, looking away and going about his day, he looks again, and he sees that she's still beautiful, um, and he calls to a servant and says, yo, I need to find out about, find out about this girl. The servant goes, finds out about the girl. She's like, yo, it's Bathsheba. Um, this is Uriah's wife, and David's like, bring her to me, and so <laughs> that was really creepy. <laughs> bring her to me, and so, you know, Bathsheba goes to David, and they do the do. They have an affair, and she goes back, you know, he sends her back. And then probably a couple weeks later, I assume, because I know how biology works, she sends a note to him, says, yo, David, I'm pregnant. 
I imagine this is a moment where David literally just goes, oh, explicative. <laughs> like, oh, man. He, that was right. <laughs> Wait, we said a bad word last week? Oh, you did say a bad word. I'll, I'll, I'll use it next time I have to use it. But maybe I won't. I don't know. That feels really weird. So Bathsheba's pregnant. And so David's like, okay, um, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, is a soldier. So he calls Uriah home. And he's like, Uriah, you know, you've been doing a real good job, son. Real good job, Uriah. So why don't you just go home and, like, spend the evening with your wife? So David's pretty much hoping that Uriah will do the do with Bathsheba. And then it'll be like, oh, hey, Uriah, I'm pregnant with your baby. Not David's. Um, but Uriah is a really honorable man and like, in Jewish custom. While you were at war, you weren't supposed to go home and, like, do the do and, like, enjoy luxuries and stuff like that. And so Uriah's like, all right, and he leaves, and then he sleeps at the gate, the gate of the city with the other soldiers. And then David finds out that he did not go home, and he's like, oh, man, and he says, you know, oh, poop, again. And so he brings Uriah back. He's like, Uriah, you know, like, I just really want you, you've been doing so great. I just really want you to go and just, like, enjoy an evening with your wife, have some food, enjoy, like, a, a bed and stuff, and Uriah's like, all right, and so, you know, Uriah goes, and he sleeps at the gate again, because he's an honorable man, and David's, I, I imagine David's just being like, oh my gosh, okay, you're ruining my life, Uriah, and so here, he tells his main man, Joab, David goes, Joab, um, I need you to send a messenger, and tell the messenger, send a messenger, and tell the messenger to give orders that Uriah be put in the fiercest part of the battle, and then, whenever the battle is at its thickest, we'll pull back so that Uriah will die. And I can't imagine, this is a man who's already written plenty of psalms, already, like, sung so many praises to God, yet he literally just gave a man a death sentence. Um, and he does. Uriah goes back and he dies. And so then um, David calls to Bathsheba. It's like, hey, we're going to get married. And so they get married. And that's the story. And then Nathan rebuke Nathan is like his David's main spiritual counselor and Nathan rebukes this and because of this David writes Psalm 51 um, which says one of my favorite verses in the Bible create in me a pure heart O God and renew a spirit of rightness and within me it's purity of the mind purity of the mind is often about what we feed ourselves um, so tell me you don't have to be a pre-med student or a nursing student to answer this question what would happen if you ate only junk food for a year like only McDonald's. What happened to the supersize me guy at one month? Yeah, and he was really sick. So after a year, you might die, right? Um, the same thing goes for your mind. You know, we live in a world, like Carrie said earlier, we live in a world where our minds are constantly being fed just junk. Jesus has a lot to say about this. Um, he goes to Matt, let's go to Matthew 5. Jesus says, You have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who, will, who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So your mind, your thoughts, you can sin in your thoughts. You can do things that are contrary to what God wants for you in your thoughts. Um, even your thoughts can keep you from doing things that are going to bring you closer to Christ. Um, that's really powerful. You know, they always have that phrase like, careful with your thoughts because they become your character and they, that becomes your actions. It's true. Um, so what, what does this look like in, in practice? Um, well, next week or a couple weeks from now, we're going to be talking about pornography. 
And I think we all have a passive agreeance that pornography is bad. And we all kind of accept that. And if you don't, as a neuroscientist, I have some really awesome empirical and quantitative data that legitimately shows that pornography is bad for you and leads to the objectification of women. So if you don't believe that, come talk to me. We're going to have a great talk. But <laughs> um, we, we, as we do, though, we kind of passively accept that pornography is bad and that that's like something bad to be put feeding yourself. But I have to ask, what about Deadpool? What about, what about Game of Thrones? You know, I, I watched Deadpool. I loved Deadpool. I watched Game of Thrones. I love Game of Thrones. I am so pumped for this sixth season to come out. But even Deadpool, like I was sitting there watching it and I'm like, whoa, they are doing it a lot. And then I'm watching Game of Thrones and I'm like, and I remember the first season of Game of Thrones I ever watched, I watched it in a Starbucks. And I literally had to start watching it with the laptop to the back of the wall because I was pretty much watching softcore pornography. Any, anyone who's watched Game of Thrones will know that's kind of softcore pornography. And that's the thing is that we are feeding ourselves these things. And I wonder, I wonder, is, are, is, are, these things, are these things helping our relationship with Christ? Are these things pushing us into a deeper intimacy with Christ? We got to ask ourselves those questions sometimes because these are the things that we voluntarily feed ourselves. Um, Matthew 5 also says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Is the stuff we are feeding ourselves keeping us from seeing God more clearly? So, what do we feed ourselves? To be really, you know, to use the word like food. Matthew 4, 4 says, he answered, but it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know where you can find every word that comes from the mouth of God? The Bible. For other, more practical things, Philippians 4, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these such things. You know, look, look around you guys. I think I see lots of purity and loveliness and admirability and nobility and truth in you guys. That's why I think it's great that we have like this great community. Like I have friends outside this community, but I need this community. I do. Um, so feed yourselves these things because what we feed ourselves sustain, sustains us. And it says right here in Matthew 4, 4, Man must not live on bread alone. Not that man cannot live on bread alone, but he must not. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We are not living off the words of God in things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. What are we living off of? And why is it sustaining us? So, um... Purity of the mind often leads to purity of the heart. Like, the things you feed yourself often lead to the condition of your heart. And purity is a heart condition. It really is. So we're going to go back to David. Um, Nathan calls him out on this. He's like, yo, you messed up. And David writes one of the best psalms, I think, in the Bible, Psalm 51. And like I said, he says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew within me a spirit of rightness. Um, purity is the essence of of who Christ created us to be. And Christ created us to be temples and vessels for him. P 
purity of the heart had so much to do with, th- with doing things like Jesus. Let me say that again. Purity of the heart has so much to do with doing things like Jesus. Um, this goes back to what, one of the things I love about this topic is it just really connects a lot of the things we're talking about. And I think purity of the heart really goes back to what Carrie talked about when we first launched this series. He talked about um, our motivation, loving God and loving others. Are we loving people because we want love from them? Because we are seeking validation because we're lonely? Or are we loving them because we were just, that's what we're commanded to do and we're just going to do it? Um, how are you pursuing someone or something? Are you doing it to get something from them? Because if you are, you're missing the point. In dating and friendships, we have to have pure intentions. We really do. Like, you know, dating, like, I think that's kind of an obvious thing, but especially in your friendships, are we getting to know someone because we want something from them? Or are we getting to know someone because we want to know their hearts and see their hearts? And we want true, legitimate intimacy with them. Jesus loved people and spent time with people for their sake, not for his Loving people under false pretenses is not pursuing purity. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, not for her sake, but for his. He killed Uriah, not for Uriah's sake, but for his. But when he finally understood all he did, he still cried out to God to create a pure heart in him and renew a spirit of rightness within him because purity is not a status It's something that you fight for daily. It's something you continually strive for. Um, Almost done two-thirds of the way there. So now we're going to move into the body. The body is how purity of our minds and hearts manifests itself in our daily actions. So now we're going back to 1 Corinthians 6. Here he actually shared, like I said, I've, I've read Corinthians a dozen times, but sometimes you just need to hear things in a new light. And Carrie actually shared this passage with me, and it was kind of like, completely eye-opening, and I hope it is for you too. 1 Corinthians 6, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never, for it is said, the two shall become one flesh, but the one who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So purity of the body is, I think, what we usually talk about in churches. We usually talk about with middle schoolers and high schoolers once their hormones kick in. Um, and because of that, like, it's a little, it's difficult. It's difficult to talk about. And um, I want to say some, this first, though. If you are like me, and you are one of the one in six women and one in 33 men in the United States who's been sexually assaulted or abused, I tell you with complete truth and conviction that you being sexually assaulted has no bearing on your ability to p- pursue purity and p- to pursue all the things Christ wants for you. No perpetrator can ever take who you are in Christ away from you. So let me just start with that. Purity is completely your decision and the pursuit of purity. I, I'm sorry for saying just purity on its own because I really like, I think that's a much better way of talking about is pursuit of purity is completely your decision. Um, and remember, it says in the Bible, and it's true, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And to use Paul's example, sure, 
if you want to go have sex with a prostitute, then go do it. But you have to ask yourself, are you using your body, the place where the Bible says Christ dwells, are you using that in the way it was intended to be used? So we have an ice maker in the kitchen, right? This seems very off topic, but I'll tie it back in. We have an ice maker in the kitchen, and we usually have these great little shovely scoops, right? One day, I go in there, I open the ice maker, about to fill up my water bottle with some ice, and there is an ice cream scoop in there. I don't know who did it, but I don't like them. Using that ice cream scoop for a, a purpose it was not intended to was probably one of the most frustrating things of my life. And I stress out about everything. I'm sitting there with my water bottle, trying, like, getting two cubes at a time, pretty much, where I could have gotten, like, six or seven. Was that you? You high-fived. Okay. <laughs> I'm sitting there trying to scoop these ice, these ice cubes into my thing, into my little cup, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. This is so stupid. Why am I doing this? Like, this is so dumb. And it's the same thing. Like, it's the same thing with your bodies. Like, when we use our bodies for, like, literally, it says right here, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And if we are using our bodies for anything but for the Lord, you are going to find yourself extremely frustrated. That ice cream scoop, when it's scooping its right thing, ice cream, preferably Dutch chocolate bluebell ice cream, it's beautiful, it's lovely, and I love the ice cream scoop. When it's trying to scoop ice without the cream, it's very frustrating, and I want to pull my hair out. And it's the same thing. It's this, it says the same thing with your body. Um, and so the real question here is, are the things you are doing with your body honoring God and advancing the purposes of his kingdom? I'm going to read this passage one more time from 1 Corinthians 6. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never, for, for it is said, the two shall become one flesh, but the one who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So how do we pursue purity in our daily lives? And how do we assess the things in our lives that aren't honoring God and that aren't bringing us closer to God? And honestly, that's going to take a lot of difficult, painful, and honest questions. Is this being Christ-like? Is this right for me? Is this growing my relationship with Christ? Is this honoring Christ with my body? Is this being all who Jesus intended me to be? What is your desire for to love God and to love others, or to do and, and or to do and think things that just aren't what we were made to do and think. So, in summary, purity is about pursuing the person that you were created to be. It is not a shame-based status, but a holiness-motivated daily fight and journey. And it's deeply, deeply wrapped up in loving God and loving others. So that's all I have for you. But I'd like to close us out in prayer.
Um, God, thank you for giving me the courage to talk about this tonight. Thank you for putting this on my heart, because I think it's very relevant. Thank you for having grace on us, God. I pray that any shame in this room would be extinguished, because that's, that's not your desire. You don't desire to shame us. You, you walk proudly with us, God. You aren't ashamed to be our Lord. You're not ashamed to be our Savior. So I pray that you would just blow away any shame without any reservations and without holding back. I pray instead that we would choose to seek you and that we would desire to see you clearly, that we would choose to fight for the person that you want us to be, even when it's difficult and even when the world is telling us a million different messages. And in doing this, I pray that we would choose and make the daily decision to love you and love each other and love a broken world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.